Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, the economy, and why they matter. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 16. It's titled, The World is Getting More Risky. Last episode, episode 15, which was on, we should stop worrying about the next market crash. I made the statement that financial calamities will eventually come, so we need to be prepared. And one of the suggestions I gave for preparing was we should scale our exposure to risky assets to our ability to recover if a market sell-off occurs. And I had a couple listeners follow up and ask a very simple question, which I kind of glossed over, is what does risky mean? What is risk? How do we manage risk? And that's what I want to talk about today, because sometimes we think of risk as only bad, and we want to eliminate risk. And that's not true. We don't want to eliminate risk. We want to manage risk. And that's what we'll we'll explore. How do we do that? But first, let's define what risk is. There was a professor, there's a professor at the London Business School named Elroy Dimson, and he gave a definition of risk, and and I got this definition. Peter Bernstein, who wrote the book Against the Gods, The Remarkable Story of Risk. Whenever somebody would ask him, what does risk mean? He would refer to this definition given by Elroy Dimson. And he defined risk as more things can happen than will happen. Think about that. More things can happen then what actually happened. We can have a, a, a long list of things that could potentially happen, both good and bad, and that list is going to be much longer than what actually will happen. And so as, as humans, we were always contemplating a wide range of potential outcomes, things that could happen. And we enumerate them and we sort of assess, well, what, what's the likelihood or the probability that happened? We also recognize there's, there's outcomes or things that could happen that that didn't even enter our mind, complete surprises. And then we act based on what we expect will happen. Let me give you an example. This past weekend, I record this podcast at a farmhouse. We have a farm in Teton Valley that overlooks the mountains. And, and I, when we traveled last year, we used Airbnb to rent houses. And I thought, well, I'm going to return the favor and, and try renting out our farmhouse. And I, I've rented it out a couple times. Well, last weekend, we had a family from Israel, so they, they were even uncertain whether they were going to be able to come, given the conflict with, in the Gaza Strip. But they came, they, and I welcomed them, and I was showing them the house, and the, the mom, the, it, it was a, a husband and wife and their four kids, and, and the, this, the mom was very concerned. And I knew she was concerned even before she came, because I had exchanged a number of emails with with the father and and he just 
was just trying to make sure that everything was going to be safe. And, and so she was sitting on the dining room table, and, she, and that was really her question. Is it safe here? And she was particularly worried about how far out the house was and how, how close is the nearest neighbor. Well, the nearest neighbor is a quarter, a half mile away. Are there bears? No, there's not really bears. The bears are up in the mountains. But we were going through, she was kind of assessing what the, the, the risk was and what were potential negative outcomes. If I went to Israel, I would do the same thing. They live in a, a, a gated community. It, it, she almost described it as a com- compound with, with armed guards, and they're used to having neighbors really, really close. And here, we're, we're very, very spread out, very open. But she was assessing the risks. What were the potential outcomes? She was putting, in her own mind, we kind of do this mental counting, probability of, of worst-case scenarios. And then she ultimately chose what she expected the highest probability event would happen, which their family would, could be, would be fine. And so they decided to stay. So that's what risk is. And risk management is dealing with the consequences of being wrong in our expectations. In other words, we, we always expect what will happen, but invariably what we expect doesn't happen. Something else happens. And sometimes what happens is good, so we exceed our expectations, but sometimes what happens is, is a negative outcome or not what we expected, and so we, we, when we manage risk, we want to deal with those negative consequences and minimize the harm and the pain of things that don't go right. That's what managing risk is. It's managing the consequences. If we completely eliminate risk, which I would argue you really can't, then you're also eliminating the possibility of good things that could happen. And in the latter part of the, the podcast, I'll talk about what we could do to actually take advantage of the upside. Because that's ultimately what we're doing when we're talking about managing risk. We are capturing the upside and protecting against the downside. So using our definition, something is more risky if there is a wide range of potential outcomes and the harm caused by being wrong in our expectations is great. Something is less risky if there's a narrow range of potential outcomes and the harm caused by being wrong in our expectations is small. And so that's the distinguishing between high risk and low risk. In the financial markets, the range of potential outcomes from one individual to the next, if they're invested in the same asset types, tends to be very similar. So if I invest in stocks versus my neighbor investing in stocks, we, we both experience the same potential outcomes. But the harm caused by being wrong in our expectation is very individualized. And let me give an example. If you had two investors, each had $50,000 to invest in stocks. They both fa- face the same range of potential returns over the next year. Let's say they both expect the return will be 7%. But one investor, that $50,000 is their entire life savings, and they plan on using that in 12 months for a down payment on a house. The other investor is a multimillionaire and got this $50,000 from an inheritance from her great uncle. The first investor, the stocks are more risky 
because the negative consequence of a market sell-off is much greater because that's the entire life savings. And it was used for a specific purpose within 12 months. And so this would be an example of that investor would need to scale back their exposure to stocks, reduce the risk in order to minimize the negative consequence of something bad happening. Let's switch topics a little bit. Last week, I also talked about this concept of nonlinear systems and complex adaptive systems. And a, a nonlinear system was something where even though the inputs are the same, the con- starting conditions are the same, the outcome might be completely different. And the examples I gave was a thunderstorm and a sand pile. The thunderstorm, the atmospheric pressure might be the same, the wind speed might be the same, the temperature might be the same, and sometimes you'll get a a powerful storm that caused like that caused a flash flooding in our town, and sometimes you don't. The same with a if you drop grains of sand onto a sand pile. Sometimes you'll get a avalanche at a hundred grains of sand. Sometimes it could be thousands. And the reason why and it's nonlinear. It isn't on the 50th grain of sand you get a avalanche. It varies, and that's what we mean by nonlinear. A complex adaptive system is a system comprised of a variety of interconnected inputs, and they adapt and learn over time. Grains of sand don't learn and adapt over time. That's just nonlinear. But an ecosystem does. Nature does, because you have evolution, you have just the adaptation, and you have a variety of input, inputs. Financial markets are also complex adaptive system because they adapt. It's made up of humans who are irrational and, and learning, and they're being fearful, they're being greedy, they're adjusting, and you have all these various inputs from politics to the markets in terms of businesses, and, and it's always adapting. So we have two, two examples, nature and financial markets, both complex adaptive systems. There's a difference, though. Nature has existed for millions of years longer than financial markets. It's been around for generations, for millennia. And, and why is that? Well, nature has a, a way that ensures that it doesn't ever completely blow up. Negative events occur tornadoes, oh, pandemics. I mean, just, just vir- I think one of the things that's occurring in some ecosystems is mold and, and or you have just things die. Right? And, you, and, and, and so you have things that could happen to part of an ecosystem. You could have an earthquake and just you can think of all the examples. But what's interesting about these examples is these negative outcomes or errors tend to be very localized. They don't spread in a way to the entire system. And an example of that is is forest fires or epidemics, if they're isolated, they're kept at bay. The, The Ebola virus that's occurring in Africa, which is very, very deadly, they're trying everything they can to, to isolate it so that it doesn't spread. Because errors 
even though they're small, if they're allowed to compound and spread, can lead to a catastrophic event. And the, the great example of this was in 2008. The global financial system was nearly destroyed because securities markets and investors had become so interconnected. They weren't isolated. They were interconnected. They had strong linkages. And, and that, that virus, that, that market pandemic, spread throughout the system and almost destroyed it. So what that means is because markets are so much more interconnected and the linkages are there, and many of the linkages we can't see. If you recall the sand pile, there was all these internal pressures. One reason you couldn't predict when the next avalanche was going to be was because as each grain of sand landed, it influenced all the other sand and the internal pressure and the connections. And that's the way markets work. Whenever something happens, it, it influences everything. And so it, the world is becoming more risky because the range of potential outcomes is expanding. And if you recall our definition of risk, risk is more things can happen than will happen. And so if the range of potential things that could happen is getting more unpredictable, it's getting more complex, then risk is increasing. There's more surprise. We're more like, if there's more things that could happen, then the likelihood of, of something happening that we expect is small. We're more likely to be wrong. We could be wrong in a good way and things work out better than we thought, or we could be, we could be wrong in a bad way. And again, managing risk is we want to minimize those negative outcomes. We want to protect against the downside. What's, one way we can do that is because everything is so interconnected is we can do what nature does. We can build isolated pockets. We can build areas of our lives that aren't connected to the market both the, the financial markets as well as commerce in general. Here's an example. This, this past weekend, the, the residents of Toledo, Ohio, couldn't drink their municipal water anymore. It, there was a toxic algae bloom in the nearby Lake Erie, and, and the water was toxic. And so everyone's scrambling to buy bottles of water, and the shelves got emptied, and they, I think they might have had to pipe in water. But I'm certain there were some families there that had actually stored some water in their basement for something exactly like this or for something they hadn't even anticipated. They might have some, uh, some food storage and some water storage. We do in, in this farmhouse here. We have some water stored and we have food stored. Not a ton, but enough because that way it's an isolated pocket. It's independent. I don't have to engage with the market in order to, to, to buy water or food if there is some type of catastrophic event. That's an example of managing risk, mitigating risk, mitigating the impact, the negative impact of a negative outcome. Having some cash at home so you don't have to go to your bank or an ATM. What if the ATM is, system is struck by a virus and you have no cash? Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. 
Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We, I, I saw this example of what it's like not to have cash when we traveled to Japan last year. I, we showed up late. I for, forgot to go to the ATM to get some money. I bought a train ticket with my credit card. And we took the train, and we were going to transfer to a subway to get to the house we rented. Well, lo and behold, the subway system didn't take credit cards. And so I went to the first ATM, and the ATM wouldn't take my card. And I went to the next ATM. And literally for two hours, I looked for ATMs. And I'm starting to panic because we're going to be late for our house. It's getting late. We're getting tired. And we have no money. I literally didn't have a dollar with me or a yen, nothing. Finally, we went to a hotel. And fortunately, they took, took a credit card. But that, that fear, I, I did not manage the risk well. We had a negative outcome, and I completely failed. So we want to build the, these side pockets, have some cash at home, have some, some food, have some water. Other ways is, is skills. Develop skills that are independent. Learn to grow a garden. Learn to fix things. And, and these are ways just to, to be independent. We can do it in career-wise. Starting a side business is a way to build greater resiliency and to mitigate negative outcomes, in this case, losing your job. And so the idea is to 
build isolated pockets that aren't connected to the overall system in such a way, and that's a way to build resiliency. So that's protecting against the downside, which has been the bulk of the podcast so far, because ultimately bad things happen. We want to mitigate those negative outcomes. But let's look at capturing the upside. What do we do there? From an investment standpoint, if you listen to episode three, should you invest in individual stocks, I give an example of capturing the upside by buying these baskets of undervalued securities via an ETF or a a mutual fund and buying cheap assets that are embedded with potential positive surprises or good things. That's one example. But I I like to, for this podcast, focus more in terms of life in general. And there's a great book that I read a couple years ago, ago called Click Moment. And the subtitle is Seizing Opportunities in an Unpredictable World. It's by Franz Johansson. If you look at the show notes, I'll, I'll put a link to it. And, and this is right on topic because we're talking about the world is unpredictable in terms of the, there's a wider range of potential outcomes. More things can happen, may happen, than will happen. And because of that, we want to be able to capture some of these good things. And, and the author of this book gives four steps of what we can do to really capture the upside in our life. And step one was to take action, do something, experiment. The term that the author uses is make purposeful purposeful bets. Spread out our bets and actions, be it a side business, be it learning a new skill, a new project, learning, just trying all kinds of different things, things that seem completely on a whim. That's step one. Two is take a closer look at surprises, things that are unexpected. Be be a, a person that's looking always out on the edge and things that are happening that that the world didn't expect, that you didn't expect, and explore them. Because usually it's the things happening on the edge that that are often the, the most interesting things out there. Three, three, or step three, is to spot momentum and intensity. In other words, if the world is unpredictable, that's true. But avalanches do occur. Some avalanches are good. And so when we see pockets of momentum in intensity, intensity, that's our areas where we should double down and pursue them because that's what that's an example of a click moment. In other words, once something good happens, oftentimes that continues. We've used that example in in this podcast in terms of uh, let's see, I believe it was episode thirteen and fourteen where we where I discussed momentum and not fighting the tape, and how when the market tends is going up or a segment of market, that tends to continue. There's a momentum aspect to the world. A more personal example is this podcast. Three or four months ago, I hadn't really thought about doing a podcast. I used to do webcasts all the time in my, with my previous career or employer, but I, I hadn't really done podcasts until I, I read an article that talked about podcast audiences were growing because more and more individuals had smartphones and and data plans were becoming more cheap or cheaper. And so the audience was growing. I thought, well, shoot, let me try doing a podcast. I hadn't done a podcast before. And it seems to have some momentum. 
and reviews have been good and, and listeners are increasing. And so I'm doubling down and putting more effort on podcasts, reducing my effort on something else. I was writing a book. I was going through the edits of the book and ultimately decided this book is a little dry and not terribly exciting and not as much fun as doing a podcast. And so I'm going to take the material from a book and do an online course and try that. And so it's a constant idea of taking action, looking for surprises when something works out, pursue it, follow the momentum, follow the intensity, and and double down. And that is a way to capture the upside in our lives, to manage risk, because we can manage negative outcomes that occur, and we can manage risk by taking advantage of positive outcomes. One way to do that is to be very, very flexible. When we traveled overseas last year, some people, when they travel, they like to hire, to buy a package deal, and do Everything is scheduled out. This day we're doing this day, next day we're doing this, hour by hour. And, and the risk of that is very, very low because the outcomes, potential outcome is very narrow because it's a very controlled situation. Contrast that to our travels overseas. We showed up in Asia, we showed up in Europe, but I'll give an example of Europe. We rented a car, well, we leased a car, and we only planned out a week at a time. And we were renting houses on Airbnb, and we were figuring out as we go. And there were, and some the positives of that is we could show up in places that something cool was happening, such as there were some concerts my kids, my, my sons wanted to go to, so we were able to schedule the trip around these concerts. So by maintaining flexibility, we can better capture the upside in delaying decisions until the kind of the last possible moment. Now, sometimes that doesn't work out. Sometimes if we had waited too long, we might not have had a place to stay because everything was sold out. But fortunately, it worked out. So maintain that flexibility and follow those four steps that I enumerated to capture the upside. And again, those four steps were one, take action or make purposeful bets. Two, take a closer look at surprises or the unexpected Three, spot areas of momentum and intensity. And four, double down in those areas where things are going well. That is episode 16. The world is getting more risky. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That website, moneyfortherestofus.net, is also where you can sign up for my weekly insider's guide, where you can have the show notes emailed to you, as well as get a preview preview of what each episode or that particular week's episode will be about. It's also where I include additional insight and commentary, circle back on prior episodes, and also share charts and graphs that I cannot share with the general public. If you want to get in contact contact with me, if you have a question, you can email me at jd at jdavidstein.com. That's also where you, that's email addresses where you can make suggestions for future podcasts. You can also contact me via Twitter at J.D. Stein. wanted to share with you a quick review. This is from Rockbit. He says, David, I really appreciate this series. It's great insight into the realms of economics most of us will never get to work in. Thanks for your passion, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. If you haven't had a chance, please go ahead and leave a review 
or rank the podcast on iTunes. Just that simple act helps the ranking of Money for the Rest of Us so that others can can benefit from the podcast also and find it. <laughs> can't benefit until you find it. Just a reminder, everything I share with you today is for general education only. I have not considered your specific risk profile. I have not made specific predictions or given investment advice. Everything is general education on money, investing, in the economy. Thanks for joining. Next time, episode 17.